everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm your host, Dina McKay, and on this episode, I'm continuing on with the theme of DNI reports. So if you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard the episodes with Black Tech Mecca discussing their DNI report that was released in October. On this episode, I'm talking with Jessica Yamoa, who is one of the co-founders of Innovate Inclusion about the tech report that she's released for Toronto. So in this podcast, you can expect to learn more about the Toronto tech ecosystem. You'll hear about what data is in the DNI report that she's producing with her partner, Sarah Juma, as well as discussing who's doing all the great things in the diversity and inclusion space and who are the major players in the Toronto tech space. So let's get it. Welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I have a woman here from Toronto, Canada, and her name is Jessica Yamoa. Hi, Jessica. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. So I originally saw you in an article that was posted about diversity and inclusion in Toronto, and I know that you have your new organization, Innovate Inclusion, and so do you want to tell the listeners how it got started? Yes. So Innovate Inclusion advocates for the entrepreneurial success of underrepresented communities. And it evolved from my background working in technology with some of the leaders in technology and innovation, as well as Sarah Juma, who's a co-founder. So coming together, we've worked in a number of different incubators and accelerators across Ontario here in Canada. And I'm not sure how the incubators and accelerators work in the States, and I'm pretty sure it's a similar system as here in Canada, where There's a variety. Some are government-funded. Others are private incubators and accelerators. But the four major ones that we belong to uh, are Invest Ottawa, which is in our nation's capital, and then the Digital Media Zone, which is part of the Ryerson University, the Communitech Hub, as well as Mars, which is uh, focused on fintech, health tech, et cetera. So through working with those incubators that are all government-funded, we found that Despite major government funding and all of our work, no one looks like us. So as you move through these different programs, no one looks like us. None of the program facilitators look like us. And it became a challenge as we evolved. And as we started looking at the fact that these are all government funded, we started to question why no one looks like us. And then just overall looking at the tech industry, when you look at other, other industries and verticals, you do see representations of different communities, whether it's the Afro-Caribbean community, whether it's the First Nations or Latin community. And similar to what you're experiencing in the U.S., you find that when it comes to technology and innovation, our communities are very under-indexed. And we decided to start taking a deeper look at that, and that's how Innovate Inclusion was uh, born. Awesome. And I know in the States, especially in you know Silicon Valley and I would say even Chicago, so tech and diversity is kind of a hot issue right now. So before you started this project, was DNI big in Canada and Ontario? And since you started looking at all this information, this data, how has the discussion evolved? So in Canada, diversity is built into our framework and part of our DNA. The challenge is as much as everyone talks about it, not a lot is being done about it. So we have a similar dynamic to the U.S. in the sense that it's a priority in terms of it's hot and it's sexy, especially in tech right now. But in terms of who's actually doing the work, that's a very, very short list. And I'd have I'd, I'd challenge anyone to give me a list or show people that are doing really, really great and impactful work in the space of diversity and inclusion in technology. So that's why we stepped up to say, let's start 
doing things rather than talking about things when it comes to tech and diversity and inclusion. I love that. I mean, I heard a challenge, so I would love to see if anyone would actually address that challenge and provide a list of names. Yeah. No, and I was going to say, and we, and we put the challenge out not just in, in Canada, but across North America, because the other thing that we're all familiar with is the fact that all of the major tech players are North America wide. So, you know, the Googles, the Apples, the Samsungs, the Adobe's, all of those major corporations, all the major software, you know, hardware, et cetera, providers, they're North American companies. So they have offices and they have, they have head offices here in Canada, but their headquarters and their parent companies oftentimes are in the U.S. And because we, we default a number of times here in Canada to the U.S., we put the challenge out across the board. So we often follow the lead of the U.S. We often, especially when it comes to working with these corporations, which I've worked for a few of them, we have to follow their lead or we do follow their lead. We, we put the, the challenge out not just to our Canadian counterparts, but to our North American parents, per se. And that actually leads me to a question because you're correct that you know, most, most of the major companies have kind of hubs that are in the United States, but they still are North American wide. So is there any major company that you can think of right now that's doing a good job with DNI? At this stage in the game, I would definitely say, because it's such a difficult topic to, ch- to take on, there's no, you know, ready-made solution or whatnot. We applaud Google for being transparent with their numbers. We applaud Uber for bringing on the new um, brand CBO, Chief Brand Officer Bozema St. John, and the work that she's going to be doing and the task that she's, she's been tasked with. I mean, again, she's not there to save the entire brand or the entire company, nor should she be expected to. She's there with a very specific role and task, and we think that that's really exciting in terms of what Uber's done and bringing her on board. We think even just in the space of larger innovation that Nike, sorry, excuse me, is doing a fantastic job. They were one of the first companies outside of specific hardcore tech to say our minority employees outnumber our what would be seen as usually the dominant or majority employees. So we applaud them for being transparent with their numbers and the work that they're doing. And especially now in the climate of you guys in the U.S. and what's going on in terms of the intersections of sport and race and ethnicity and culture and all those things coming together, the fact that they were one of the first ones to take it on. So we think they're doing a fantastic job as well. Those are some great examples. Personally, I don't know if I ever would have thought about Nike being involved in that group, but now I have to do some research on that. Yeah, they, they in terms of innovation and that, I mean, I, I've worked for them once upon a time or with them once upon a time, but in terms of innovation, they are truly leaders. They have their N7 program, which works with First Nations and Indigenous people, as well as for Black History Month, they started the program last year, the their equality campaign, and when it was based on the, the premise of if there can be equality in sports, there should be equality everywhere. And that really starts you thinking because to my point earlier, or what I was saying in terms of different ethnicities, why is it that, again, to Nike's point, you can have all this diversity in sport and everybody gets along and everybody understands it. And everyone can come together to the common, to work towards the common goal of winning, right? And athleticism and all of those things. But when it comes to technology, other com- our communities are, are underrepresented and under-indexed. Why is that? I do understand what you're saying, though. There's a lot of athletes who are from all over the world that play together, and there's never really issues like within a team regarding diversity and inclusion. So that is a very interesting point that you can do that, you know, with sports. But for some reason, when it comes to work, being in the work industry and tech, there's an issue. Right. 
switching gears a bit, I know that you had an event in Toronto a couple weeks back called Elevate Toronto. That was kind of like your first taste at a DNI, I guess you would call it a conference, right? So what happened was it was our first or Toronto's first tech festival as it was positioned. And one of the key pillars or threads that was said to be woven into the programming was that diversity is one of our strengths here in Canada. So that's how it was positioned. So did you attend Elevate Toronto? And how was it from your perspective? So we attended Elevate Toronto. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to, some of the highlights was it was interesting to see some of the small to medium businesses that are coming out of Canada and the great exposure that they got in terms of participation. In terms of diversity, there are definitely opportunities to do better. We had met with some of the members of their team who enacted some of the programming that Innovate Inclusion does. And it was interesting to see how that was executed. And we definitely think there are opportunities in the future to work with Elevate's team in terms of activating the programming that we do at a level where it is really qualitative and impactful. And there's definitely opportunities for them to do better and excel in really reflecting the diversity of Toronto and Canada across the board. So from the speakers all the way through to the attendees. Interesting. For it being the first time that the event was taking place, I'm sure there were a lot of lessons learned and growing pains that they went through. But I hope that the next one is even better. And we definitely feel that we can help in achieving the goal of making it better and Mm -hmm. really putting forth and making sure that the pillar of inclusive diversity shines through. So it's a, it's very apparent versus it being, again, more so of a, of a tagline or lip service versus um, being innate and something that people just get because it's so, it's so part of the fabric and part of the DNA. Right, because it's all about the action behind it, right? Not just doing all the it is. It is. It's about the action and the intent. And I think there's a huge difference between knowing something and being told something. And when you're told it, it's very different than when you know it and you feel it and you know it to be true. So we uh, definitely look forward to if, if they choose to go forward with it, working with them to make it, you know, even better than this year. Awesome. And I can't wait to see that happen. So hopefully next year we'll be seeing a little different format. Hopefully we'll have Black Tech Unplugged (laughs) part of it as well. Sorry. I would love that. So let's talk about what you and your partner, Sarah, are doing. You guys are creating a report, the first DNI report in Toronto. What inspired you to create it? So we were inspired by Project Diane and the way they took a look at the results and the status of African-American women in tech and the way they're funded or not funded, um, the support, the resources that are out there. And based on that, and again, our experiences in the incubator accelerator space, as well as diversity being a really hot and sexy topic right now in technology and innovation and, and, and entrepreneurship, that was kind of what, what led us to, to creating the report. And just the fact that before you can do anything and move forward, you have to have some type of stats or you have to have some type of basis to, to move forward on. And so because we don't have those stats here in Canada, we don't we often rely on a number of the reports and initiatives that come out of the U.S. We decided to start benchmarking where we are here in Canada now so that we, can, we have a place to move forward from. And from your perspective, how hard was it to collect that data? Was it, were people open and willing to give you that information? 
I can definitely say it was a very insightful and interesting and cathartic experience in terms of the entrepreneurs. Some were fantastic. Some, you know, jumped in right away and were quick to give us their insights and their anecdotes and their experiences. Others, it was a challenge. Uh, when it comes to the actual incubators and accelerators themselves, again, it was, it was a, a mix. Some were fantastic in terms of really being transparent and saying, you know what, we kind of know where this is going to lead to in terms of their composition because it's all public information in terms of who sits on the board and, and all of those things. But they were open and willing to work with us and say, you know what, let's, let's do this. Other ones were not as active or involved and did not participate as much. And then in terms of the government, there's been great support thus far. We hope it continues and we'll see because, again, it's very easy to talk the talk. We'll see what happens when it comes time to actually putting action behind the words that have been said. So it's been, uh, for the most part, it's been very well received and there's been great support. But it's easy to do it on the front end. Let's see what happens when it comes time to the actual heavy lifting and time to actually commit human capital, financial capital, and all of those things behind, behind the, the results and the solutions. I asked the question because it's like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the incident within the states where Facebook and different organizations weren't as forthcoming with their information. And it's kind of like, well, what are you hiding behind? So it was right. interesting to hear that different incubators kind of had that same mindset of, oh, let me hide the, not hide their data, but they were very, you know, playing it close to their chest. We just want to know what's going on. We just want to make sure you're helping everyone and spreading your assistance with everyone. Right. And that's it. I mean, the challenges, like we said, again, these are all government funded incubators or government funded entities. So to a certain extent, they do have a responsibility to disclose this information. And again, our major, our main concern was not to highlight, I guess, inefficiencies. It was more so to benchmark, as we said earlier, where we are as a country, as a city, as a province, well, specifically province because of the province-focused report, so we have something to move forward from. So a year from, not even a year from now, like within the first three months, we can say, well, this is the, the progress we've made. The next, like, you know, within six months. So we can actually trend against that. So when we're trying to say that we are not Silicon Valley North and we are our own people, we can actually have the data as well as the quantitative and the qualitative data to back that up versus everyone kind of throwing a claim to we're the best this and we're the best that. But again, it's a self-proclaimed versus coming from the actual people who are using your resources and your programming. Yes, because now you have this report. It's almost like, okay, here are the receipts. So you can't. Exactly. You can't just have this exactly. claim to fame. <laughs> right. It's, yeah. The self-proclaimed titles don't go very far with us. We want to actually see that people, you know, applaud and actually recognize. And that's where we've had. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll say, you know, for example, Communitech, they've been involved and they've been by far some of the most open and transparent um, of the, the incubators that we've worked with so far. And they've also been some of the first ones to say, you know what, we, we don't know and we know that we need to work on it more. But the thing is, they've been open and ready to receive and work with us. And even in terms of some of their programming in the past, they brought down Troy Carter and we were floored like to see that for their major initiative, which is Techtoberfest, because Waterloo has a big uh, German, it's a German founded city in terms of population. So they have this Oktoberfest is a big deal. And they used to have this event called Techtoberfest and they brought down Troy Carter. And we were just amazed to see someone that looks like us on stage and with Sarah's background in terms of the music industry and whatnot, knowing that there's that cross section and that, that intersect of music and technology and innovation. That's why we also want to see more people from the underrepresented communities get involved. We're over-indexed in music and rappers and athletes and everything else. And, you know, initially back in the day, 
the big thing was clothing lines and whatnot. What our communities don't seem to realize, or underrepresented communities don't seem to realize, we're moving out of this industrial, well, we moved out of this industrial revolution and, and whatnot. We're, into, we're moving into the innovation economy. And the more we get ourselves in line and in tune with innovation and technology and coding and all of those other things, or just at least ideating from a place where innovation is always a component to what we do. If we don't get there, we're going to be farther behind in terms of the digital divide and we're, we're going to be out of luck. So instead of some of these programs or some of you know, these athletes and entertainers and whatnot, I'm not saying don't do your clothing lines. We're always going to need to wear clothes. So when it comes to innovation, you're making money when you sleep. You know what I mean? Like, yes. It's a, it's a whole different game. You know what I mean? It's the difference between like an advanced class and a remedial or a basic class. Like you're just talking in two different languages and not to say you don't have all spectrums out there. So when it comes to innovation, that's where the money is. And that's where as, as a community, that's, we are always, and we've often been the leaders and the, the influencers when it comes to what's new and what's hot. I always use the, the analogy when speaking with people from the community, because a lot of times tech can be intimidating, but I'm like, look at it this way. 15 years ago, would you have ever thought a DJ wouldn't need records? It's gone from crates and your B-boys carrying your crates and you know parties being done with turntables and whatnot, so you just need a laptop. That's what innovation's done. And when you start seeing things in that way, innovation's just a way to make things better, there's a lot of things our communities need to do to make, or a lot of things that we need to improve and make better. If we just start thinking about how we can use technology to do that, it, it's over. The whole game will change. Exactly. And you dropped three pieces of knowledge that we're going to have to go back and review for the <laughs> listeners. So first off, explain who Troy Carter okay. is that came for it. You said it was Techtober? Tech-to- it's called Techtoberfest, right? So T-E-C-tober, so T-O-B-E-R-F-E-S-T. So you'll probably have to do a little bit of background, like I said, in Germany and in KW, um, because like I said, there's a large German population. They have something called Oktoberfest, where they celebrate the month of October, and they eat certain foods, and they drink beer, and it's a big, it's a big party and celebration of the fall. So because Communitech is a tech um, incubator that's based in Waterloo, Kitchener, Waterloo, Techtoberfest was just like a great way to celebrate and bring the community together under Oktoberfest, but with a tech spin to it. So what they did was bring down, they had a conference. They're not doing it in this year, but they had a conference for the last three or four years. And that's actually where Sarah went and learned about the actual incubator itself and started Style ID because she went and learned about it and was like, I've always had this idea about doing an app, but she's not technical, didn't know how to do it. And they welcomed her in and Style ID was kind of born based out of, it wasn't born, but it was brought to life um, based from that. So long story short, they bring in speakers from across North America to address the group of entrepreneurs and residents at Communitech, sorry. And when they released the information last year of who they were going to have speaking, we were floored and very excited to see that Troy Carter was one of the the speakers. And then Troy Carter um, has his background in the music industry. He worked in tour. He was a big promoter. He used to work in tour with like Sean Sean Combs and and Notorious B.I.G. or or, um, a number of just uh, music industry folks. Uh, most recently, I think he was at uh, he was at Spotify in terms of running their music. So he's going head to head with my my friends and counterparts at Apple Music and iTunes. And uh, like I said, he's been doing a lot of investing in a lot of the the tech companies out in Silicon Valley. So they they made it a point to bring him down. So we applauded uh, their president as well as their team for bringing him down and, and including us in that opportunity. That's awesome. It sounds like that was a unique experience at least from for what you're used to in the tech industry in the Ontario region. Exactly. And, and just to, to give you a little bit more context, so if you compare that to, to Elevate Toronto, 
where mm-hmm. that type of diversity wasn't exhibited at Elevate Toronto. Mm-hmm. And that's where we feel we can really make an impact, but Communitech took the initiative to do something like that on their own. So even though, you know, they, their boards aren't as diverse and they have some opportunities to develop, the thing is they're always exhibiting the desire and the will to do better and to try out different things. And we really, like we said, we applaud them for that. Another thing that you brought up was that some of the, well, a lot of the incubators in Ontario are government funded. And for my listeners who don't have a full understanding of what that means, let's discuss government funded incubators. So we're still waiting on confirmation from the numbers. Our, Our friends with the government are going to get back to us on that. But what happens is our government funds organizations so some similar to ours, but they're, they're not for profit. So literally the government will give them large amounts of money. So there's like an, a press release the other day where Invest Ottawa got $63 million for their building and programming. Mars in the past has been giving $400 million for their, their building and facilities. So there's just different um, aspects where the government will give money to different organizations for different in- initiatives. So obviously similar to you in, in the U.S., Canada, we have a big push on innovation and technology. And as I mentioned, the innovation economy, there's a lot of contributions being made from the different types of governments or different ministries in government. So we have like status of women, we have innovation, we have labor workforce, and each of those different portfolios, you know, small business, whatnot, will make contributions, education as well, will make contributions to facilities and incubators and organizations like this. So because these are places or organizations and and incubators that are being funded by the government, the government's literally contributing to a large part of their operating. There's a requirement, obviously, that because it's government funded, that it be available and open to all versus some of the private incubators where, for example, a company will go and they'll set up, whether it's space within their own organization or space in a in a larger hub or a larger community setting like a Communitech or one of the other incubators. Um, those are private funded, so they're able to run their own programming, do things on their own. They aren't, you know, regulated to to have to open it up or certain regulations that government funded entities would be. And so this information will be included in your report. So besides what we've already discussed, what else can we look forward to? So to get a copy of the report, uh, you can reach us at hello at innovateinc.co. And the report is just like we said, a quick scan of, I shouldn't say quick, but it's a scan of the four government-funded incubators. They're the leading ones, so they are the biggest ones here in Ontario. And it will go through, like we said, the board composition. So the board are the head decision makers. They're the ones that dictate how funding is spent and, and allocated and whatnot. They may govern all the hiring decisions and whatnot. So we look at the, the board composition all the way through to the members of the team or the staff that interface with the entrepreneurs and the people that are filtering are going through the, the incubator system. So we'll just, it, I mean, it will it'll benchmark the fact that there's a definite need for inclusive diversity, but particularly ethnic diversity when it comes to these management and hiring decisions. In Canada, there's been a huge push and similar to the U.S. as well on gender diversity. And we find here specifically in Canada, when there's reference to diversity, it often starts and stops at gender. And we want to make sure that the conversation evolves and the dialogue evolves past gender to be more inclusive of all the different types of diversity. So gender, ethnicity, orientation, cognitive and physical abilities, as well as age. And so those will be highlighted. Again, the report focuses on the three underrepresented ethnic communities, but the recommendations that we put forth apply to all of the inclusive diversity that I just mentioned. Uh, We will see that 
there's a lack of programming and reflection, again, of instructors that apply to ethnic diversity. So when people are taking part in some of these programs, depending on the different type of business that you're running or even just the challenges that you'll face as an entrepreneur or in the tech industry, unfortunately, if you've never walked in someone's shoes, you wouldn't necessarily understand some of the challenges that are faced. So we want to make sure that there are considerations and there's actual conscious thought put towards every element of the programming. We don't want to see tokenism. We don't want to see, okay, we want to hire one South Asian person and we want to hire one African American and we want to hire someone with a a cognitive disability and and a physical disability. But we do want there to be conscious thought. And as we said, Canada is often saying that diversity is part of our DNA. We want that to be felt and it to be intrinsic. So when programming is designed similar to Communitech and their Techtoberfest programming, I don't think there was a conscious effort to say, we need to bring an African-American person to to Techtoberfest. I think they looked at the board to say, who's relevant in tech right now? And they reached out and brought Troy. And we want that to, that's where, that's the place that we want everyone to be operating from. And if everyone was operating from that space and actually being inclusive, then you would, it would just be intrinsic. And like we said, innate that there'd be diversity across the board versus it always looking the same as it does right now. Right. And personally, for me, when I look at events or different conferences and it's the same people talking, it's the same, you know, people doing, it's boring. (laughs) To be honest, it's just boring. Who wants to keep hearing that same, and it could be even the same speech and the same, you know, rhetoric. And it's just like, there's so many different people out here who have a unique experience and a story to tell. Why aren't we reaching out to them? Exactly. And, but and, but that's the thing, right? And I think that's one of the challenges. I think that's where you guys are definitely, you benefit more in the U.S. because there are a lot more targeted efforts. So there are targeted efforts around African Americans. There's targeted efforts around Latino Americans or Hispanic Americans. Whereas here, because in Canada, we always feel like, oh, we're diverse and this is what we do. And with our composition and our community and our culture being very first and second generation because we are so young compared to the U.S., I don't think we realize how there's a lot of similarities in terms of the lack of diversity. And because there's no people is not recognized, there's not concerted efforts like there are in the U.S. So we hope that that will change. And again, not to say that there needs to be a specific program for African-Americans, there needs to be a specific program, Latin, um, Hispanic, but again, or First Nations Indigenous. But again, a conscious effort where if it's thought about, it can be incorporated into existing programming to make what's already good really great. Exactly. I know personally for me, being in Chicago, we have several groups that are geared towards different Culture. So, for instance, for I know personally from me being an African American woman, there's right. like Black Tech Mecca, there's I'm Black in Tech, right. there's different organizations that have been formed to kind of make you feel included. So, it'll be interesting right. to see how that kind of pans out in Canada because it sounds like you guys are kind mm-hmm. of at the early stages of what we've gone through probably, let's say, the last five years. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why, again, we, there's certain things that you guys do really well and we look for it towards you to that. But then there's slight nuances that are Canada specific that we need to master just because we aren't, we don't have the same composition. We don't have the same numbers, but we do have the same potential, if not greater in terms of output and everything else. Are there certain nuances that you can speak to now that you know that Canada has that kind of the states don't have? I would say part of it being the government funding for the incubators and accelerators. And then even with some of the venture, the, some of the, the venture capitalists and whatnot. So our venture capitalists are way more conservative 
And because of that, if they're already doubling down on what they'll invest in, and then you have someone, for example, like Sarah, who's pitching Style ID, and she walks in, so already she has two strikes against them. She's sitting down with, and you know, I'm being stereotypical here, but venture capitalists are probably median age, 55 to 65, Caucasian, coming from what they perceive to be a completely different background. And Sarah's coming in as a second-generation Canadian, so family came from Kenya. Um, parents are nurse and, and teacher, but point being, they just see a racialized woman. And, you know, they probably also take off the fact that she looks young. And so before she even opens her mouth, they already have a, a view or a certain view of her before she starts to even pitch style ID. Then add to that that it's a fashion app. And, you know, the investments in fashion in terms of technology, I would say, are relatively low. It's not like you've heard of, you know, any type of Uber fashion apps or anything to that that's had that great recognition or great success. So it's hard. It, it makes it difficult. And those are some of the nuances that we find over here, whereas at least in the U.S., not saying that there aren't those stereotypical venture capitalists, but to my point, you have the Tristan Walkers, you have um, a lot of the representatives in technology. Like you have people like Serena sitting on board. You have, again, active people like Bozema St. John who are out there and active in terms of from a community standpoint um, where it's starting to shine a more of a light on innovation and technology and starting to make it look sexy. You have people like Jay-Z, again, you know, starting his venture capital firm. So the more people from that aspect, and again, you guys just have numbers. So you have athletes, you have people like LeBron James getting involved in innovation and technology. So the more people with more money that are getting into the game and that are going to become and start funding um, innovation, you guys have that. Whereas in Canada, we don't have that yet. We don't have a number of people from our communities that we can turn to or look to to start investing and funding our apps or our ventures in technology. And I think that's one of the major differences that combined with, with us, again, being second, first and second generation oftentimes. So first and second generation being that either we were born here, so I was born here in Canada, but my parents were not. So that makes me second generation or first generation in terms of you were the first one from your, your family to come to Canada and become a citizen. So because we have a lot of that, we're like younger compared to the States where you guys have like, you know, hundreds of years of Americans in terms of your family lineage. Um, it makes it difficult because a lot of times in your first and second generation, there are people back home. So wherever your family originates from that they're still supporting. And then when you look at the technology industry and how it's set up where the first round rounds are friends and family. Well, if your family you know, their contribution to your success has already been putting a roof over your head and ensuring that you have a safe place to grow and, you know, you have the opportunity to be educated and whatnot. It's hard to go to them and be like, hey, can you give me fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 towards this venture that may or may not work? That's not an option. We also don't have grandparents and great-grandparents that have living wills that can be like, why would I wait till I pass? Let me give you, you know, let me sell my house now and give you your cut of my will. We don't have those, those institutions in place. And then we also don't have the history um, for example, like the African African American community, where you do have, and you're seeing more of it now. You know, generations of wealth that are being amassed and accumulated. So, those are some of the slight nuances that are different between Canada and the U.S. And you know, one thing that we talked about before when we met, another nuance that people often forget about is slavery. And in Canada, yeah. you guys don't have the history yeah. of you know being yeah. separated. So, always exactly that that legacy. And one thing that you keep mentioning that we haven't touched on, and maybe we should just go ahead and dive in, 
is the app Style ID. So tell my listeners exactly what it is, how the idea came up, and how they can find that. Sure. So Sarah, the founder of Style ID or co-founder of Style ID, was watching TV. So again, she has a background in in music and entertainment and was watching TV and would always, she considers herself not to be fashionable, but that's besides the point. I, I disagree. But she'd always watch TV and she'd watch different shows like The Young and the Restless and she'd watch different music videos. And when she'd have to get ready for whether it was like a business meeting or just different events, she'd always be like, I want to look like that person on, like this character or that person on TV or whatever the case may be. So I would never know where to get the outfit or how to pull an outfit together. So she was like, wouldn't it be amazing during the time of when iPhones came out and it's like there's an app for that. She's like, imagine if there's an app where you could just go and find out what somebody was wearing and then you could literally just buy it. So that's how Style ID evolved. It's an app that helps you identify items seen on screen. So you'd be able to go to a Cardi B video and say, I want this and click on the actual image and say, okay, sorry, and click on it and it would take you to the store to buy the outfit. So whether it's a show like Scandal or a video, you know, Cardi B's Bodak Yellow video for that, you'd be able to buy the items worn and seen on screen. I think that's so dope and I think that's so needed. How many times have you been watching TV and you're like, I want that, but you never knew where to go now? And that's it, yeah. And so on that journey, because you've been on the journey with her as well, we kind of talked about funding uh, already and, you know, the issues that you go deal with it being from Canada and trying to get funding. Is there any particular story that sticks out to you regarding funding? I don't know if there's a particular story. We, I mean, definitely being in Canada, like we said, with the venture capitalists and whatnot being way more conservative, it's, it's more challenging, uh, which is why we, we've often spent a lot of time, or Sarah spent a ton of time in the U.S. meeting with the different funders. And again, because there's that great intersect between you know, entertainers and whatnot, and this is an app that they could really benefit from. So, you know, if Jay-Z or anyone else is listening, make sure you, you reach out to Sarah Juma, Style ID. Um, but one of the challenges we found and we faced is that, like we said, the venture capitalists look one way, Sarah looks another, and we've been told time and time again that there might, that maybe we should try and find someone that looks more like the venture capitalists to actually do the pitch. So it's a little disheartening when you know your business, you are your business, and whether it's Sarah or one of the, the representatives that she sends in her place to do the pitch and to, to try and close deals isn't taken seriously or acknowledged because of what they look like versus what they know and their skill set. Um, when, for example, and we've seen it and we've seen it through the report, you'll have Caucasian counterparts, you know, younger counterparts, et cetera, you know, the whole bro culture get up and not be nearly as versed, nearly as well polished in terms of their delivery, their pitch their understanding and their knowledge of business, but yet they'll be funded time and time again. There was even a really great podcast on Gimlet. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a similar thing. Like even he said, he went out, met with a, an investor. The investor was kind of familiar with his name. It was like all about investing in him 120%. There wasn't, you know, this huge back and forth discourse in terms of being funded, whereas it's harder to get people to take a chance on, on uh, funding a, an app like Style ID because there are so many hurdles, like we said, it starts with the actual creator of the app, and then it just goes into the fact that there's a, a huge discourse or a disconnect between the venture capitalists and them understanding or appreciating or value, not even appreciating, but valuing fashion. And I think that's where the key is, like where they see the value. And if you look at the fashion industry, it's like a multi-billion dollar industry. Again, so an app like this just makes sense. If you look at the entertainment industry and how, particularly when you look at technology, how the underrepresented communities dictate and so oftentimes 
drive the other economies and how they make money. So whether it's having cars and videos or clothing and videos and all those things, those are things that we do. Those are things that we make popular. And Sally D is a really great way for us. So whether it's our underrepresented communities, whether it's, you know, the video producers, the costume designers, whatnot, to be able to recoup, you know, the, the television writers like the Shondas and the Issa Rays and whatnot to, to gain incremental revenue and be innovative at the same time and find a new way to connect with, with consumers as well as their audience. It's interesting that we aren't willing to take a chance on it because it makes sense. And we are the ones that are putting money in all these other people's pockets, but we're not getting anything for it. So yes, you might get the odd placement, um, you know, bonus or whatever the case may be, but this is again, a way to take technology to a place where you can make money in your sleep and be at the forefront of what's going on. And that's, like I said, it's just a huge missed opportunity in terms of our community because we are the ones that make things cool. If you look at how many times people Googled and searched, like the Rihanna work video, which is, again, was shot here in Canada, obviously with Drake, a huge you know, advocate for Toronto and the six and everything else. But the number of times that that video was searched or Lemonade was searched, and even with the Rihanna video, the work video in particular, Canadian director, Canadian producers, Tommy Hilfiger had produced the piece as just a runway piece. They weren't going to put it in mass production, but because there was such huge demand for it, they actually made it like a a mass piece that was available. Now imagine if you were, if Style ID was able to quantify that back to Tommy Hilfiger to say, look, we put this in the video. This is how many people searched it. This is how many people bought it. That's the type of power and the type of leverage that we need as, a, as an underrepresented community to show them and to actually prove and put value behind what we do and what we bring to the table. Exactly. I think people fail. I don't know if they just don't like to read or they <laughs> just don't like to accept that <laughs> we are the biggest consumers. We, we buy are. things. We are the ones that influence things. So yes. it's time to start investing in our community and stop trying to leave us out of the equation. That's not how it's gonna. It's not how it's gonna work and but, be successful. But they're able to do it because we haven't done a good job as a community, and this is where I think I'll take ownership as part of the community. We have not done a good job at quantifying what we do and what we bring to the table and showing them the value. And I think Style ID is a really great tool in that aspect as well to show the value because you can't deny if you look at a music video, you can right away see how many times on YouTube. And I think, for example, when work and some of the Justin Bieber, I'm just using Canadian references for this point, um, are viewed after dropping a video within 24 hours, you have over a million views. And I come from a marketing background where I'm like, okay, you can buy an out-of-home advertising piece. And because Nielsen or someone told you that it's seen 100 times off the highway of billboards, you have to go with it. But you can look as a marketing manager and say, hey, we invested in Style ID. We put towards this much in terms of, uh, of a placement deal or whatnot. And we had, within 24 hours, a million views. You have a guarantee on your impression. Then you can go, and then for, from an underrepresented community standpoint, then we can say, look, of the a million people that watched this video, X amount clicked on it in Style ID and now have bought that item. You can't argue with that. But right now, you, can, you, can argue, you don't have to argue with it because we don't even have an argument to bring to the table. Yes, we make things cool, but they don't need us. And I should say they don't need to pay for it. And this is a way for us to you know, have that attributed back to us. Right, and just think about when you're on like any social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, exactly. how many times we make something into a joke and then it goes yep. viral, but we don't get paid. Exactly. <laughs> It's just crazy that we're still in this day and age where people are not getting paid for their idea, but we're coming up with just, I can think of countless hashtags that have been started because someone made a joke out of something that's happening. Yeah, and, and that's it. It's the whole, it's appropriation over and over and over again, like cash me outside. Like there's so many things where I'm like, 
this is just our culture. This is what we do. But yet, to your point, we are not the ones who are making money from it. And that's why, you know, apps like Style ID and some of the work that we're doing, or sorry, not just us, but in terms of when I say we, I'm saying as a community that we could do if we got some of these brilliant minds at a table or gave them access to, fine, you have a really great idea. Let's pair you with someone who is technical. Because again, similar to Sarah, she's not technical. She does not code. She does not do any of those things. But she's a maven. She's really great at seeking out information. She's really great at those things. And if you pair her with someone who's technical, which is what she's done, what could happen in terms of as a community if we started working from that type of framework would be unreal. And the fact that we do have people in the community who, especially now with the pipeline that's being developed, that do code, that are technical, like the sky's the limit. So imagine if we have, you know, our really great black celebrities and our, you know, just all of the underrepresented communities, if they came together, like the, and I'll just use entertainment as an example, like you have the Jennifer Lopez's and the Mark Anthony's and the, you know, the A-Rods and all these athletes and celebrities and the LeBron's and everyone else, you know, evolving. So it's like, we've done the entertainment and sports thing. We've done the clothing thing. It's like, let's get involved in innovation because like I said, it's the next economy and that's what's going to take over. So the sooner you get in and similar to the people who are the first and the early pioneers of Facebook and, you know, Twitter and all those things, and you get in and you're part of that, again, it's game over. And you're guaranteed your legacy. So, you know, sports end and start and stop at a certain time because that's just your, your lifespan. Entertainment and actors and stuff like that, they have a longer span. But innovation technology is evolving. It's going to be around forever. There's no turning back from it, which is why as a community, the underrepresented communities, we need to make sure that we, we get on board and we get familiar, at least comfortable, and that we're included going forward. Right. And you previously stated where you see your partner, Sarah, is not a technical person, but you don't have to be. As long as you know no. what you bring to the table and you know how to exactly. utilize what you're doing, you can find someone. That's how you guys linked up. You guys saw each, you know, each right. other's strengths and you knew that you were a good fit for each other. And then you created this awesome report. Right. And I think that's one of the challenges with the communities as well, just the fact that everyone or there's often this feeling of you have to do it on your own. And as we all know, there's strength in numbers, like you're saying with the, the recent take a knee and everything else and solidarity. And I think if, again, there's, which is why we're, we, again, the report came out where there needs to be a, a very big focus on being inclusionary and inclusion. If once that is established and it's been recognized, we come together and we take advantage of these opportunities, because again, part of the challenge is, as communities as well, we don't educate ourselves on the resources and things that are out there and available to us. And that was one of the other key findings, sorry, going back to one of the questions you asked. I was surprised at how many people weren't aware of the resources that are available. And especially here in Canada where it's government funded, like I said, it's available to everyone. So to know that there's all these opportunities out there for us, but yet as a community, we don't know about them. But if, it was, if you were to ask like, you know, do you know about community centers and where you can go play basketball on a Saturday afternoon, most people will know. Right. So knowing that there are these opportunities, there are free programming classes, there are, you know, opportunities to go in and say, hey, I have this really neat idea. Is there someone who's technical who's looking for a cool project to work on? You know, finding out from a university and, and educational standpoint from academia is like, you know, what are the schools that are really great at um, technical work? So here in Canada, we have some really great universities, like perfect example is in Waterloo. Waterloo is a great place. That's where Sarah and I are from. Um, the home of BlackBerry, if you had one back in the day. But we have two great universities, Wilfrid Laurier, uh, which is a really great and renowned business school. And then we have University of Waterloo, which is a really world-renowned engineering school. So even in speaking with them, if you took someone from Laurier who's really great in business and then you pair them up with a Waterloo person who's an engineer, you're off to the races because you have the two of them that work together. Like no one expects everyone to do it on their own, but the, the more you realize like, this is my strength, let me find someone who complements what I do with their own strengths, the, the better off we are.
Exactly. And what's interesting, though, and I find this in a lot of different conversations that I have, is a lot of people say that there's all these resources and we don't know where the resources are. Like, I guess, how can we even start to address that issue at this point? Because the information is out there. It's online. And I can, Mm -hmm. from my perspective, there's information overload. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, you can have that information right in front of you, but it just might not be in a way that you can obtain it at that time. So how can we make sure people are seeing resources? And that's what we're working on. And I've been told that Black Tech Mecca has done a really great job at indexing and organizing that. So we hope to connect with them. But that's something in terms of inclusion, one of our initiatives, we want to make it easy for people to find those resources because we 120% agree. There's, it's the internet. It's, you know, you could start with one thing and end up in a completely different area in like a five minute span. So we want to make it easy for, especially people who are not tech savvy, who aren't used to sitting at computers because that's a reality as well. Um, easy for them to find information. So we just want to make sure that as a community, we're not playing the victim and that we do hold ourselves accountable to say, okay, I looked or I tried because the other important thing that we find in terms of financing and pursuing entrepreneurship and pursuing technology as a, as a form of employment and sustainability is that there is, especially in Canada as well, a lot of grants and, and there's a lot of funding that's out there, but it's hard to find. So we're trying to figure out the best way to catalog it if anyone has any ideas or if they work in data analytics or, you know, maybe like the Googles of the world who are really great at sorting and analyzing data. Um, We can work with them on those types of projects, but we don't have a complete answer on that yet. So even if people just have their insights in terms of, you know, from a cognitive perspective, if people have challenges, it's, it's great to sort this way or that way. We're open to listening to that. But the only so far great information we've heard or someone that we hear is an example of doing it really well is Black Tech Mecca, how they've been able to pull different resources and people together. So we're, we're really excited to take a deeper look at that and how they do things and maybe take some of the modeling from there. Awesome. I can't wait to see you guys connect and what information kind of comes from that. Yes. And thank you for bringing them to our attention. Of course. So we've talked about, obviously, the state of Ontario tech. Who are some of the movers and shakers that you're following now? So we've been introduced through a government programming initiative, we've been introduced to KPI. Uh, they are a agency run by two gentlemen, Carl Dion and Marlon Steven. So they have been in the game forever. So Marlon, you know, was part of a team that put together like Vibe.com and created all their online assets and whatnot. And he's a Canadian that moved to the States and again, through the same story and has been working in the technology industry for, for years. So we've definitely been introduced to them and we've um, value the relationship that we've, the quick relationship that we've built with them. Uh, there's a female by the name of Shauna Jones who is building or has built an autism app. So again, when we speak to diversity and cognitive differences, that's a huge, huge, huge opportunity just in the sense that autism affects one in every 68. I think I started working with a program about five years ago, and I think the number is closer to one in 80. So to see how quickly that's changed in the last five to six years is, is insane. But uh, there's a lady by the name of, or a female by the name of Shauna Jones, who um, has an autism app, who's doing fantastic work. There's Nadia Hamilton, who's doing fast, fantastic work as well in terms of autism. And she has uh, Magnus Cars, and that, again, deals with autism. Uh, there's another young lady by the name of um, Elsie Amoa, who's working on a mommy monitor app. So it helps with females and and uh, fertility and whatnot. It's just interesting to see the types of technology that's evolving from 
and these women are all like African Canadians seeing what's coming from the community. And just the fact that, again, there's no lack of quality, there's no lack of ideas, there's no lack of passion or drive behind the work that they're doing. The only difference is, unfortunately, here in Canada, we don't have, like I said, the resources and the, the capital to back it up. And that's where we look to and rely a little bit more on government. Or, like, eventually we pick up and move to the U.S. where there's a lot more opportunity. So those are some of the people right now that are doing fantastic work. If I'm forgetting anyone's story, just off the top of my head, these guys come to mind. And I actually want to applaud someone who has already exited, had a company, but took some time to meet with Sarah and myself, who is part of the community, who, who's definitely a standout. Uh, his name is Michael Eubanks, and he's the CIO and Senior Vice President at our LCBO, which is our Liquor, Liquor Control Board of Ontario. So he actually had a company, a startup, a few years back and was part of the Communitech community. We actually met him at a conference, and he now is, like I said, the SVP of, um, of the LCBO, and he's in charge of the information technology piece. But he just is doing really great work in terms of the entrepreneurship, startup, ecosystem, a leader in the, the community and actually believes it and walks the walk and talks the talk because he didn't need to make time to meet with us and give us guidance and counseling and, and encouragement. And he did. And sorry, there's one other person I think is doing great work. His name is George Frempong. He was just awarded. Uh, we have these awards called the Harry Jerome Awards by the Black Business Professionals Association. So George Frempong, he is the SVP over at Herjavec Group. So if you watch Shark's Tank or if you saw Dancing with the Stars, there was a gentleman by the name of Robert Herjavec. George is his co-founder, and he heads up the sales team. Um, has a really great story in the sense that George was an amazing basketball player, went to school in the States, another area where Canadians leave and come back again, like I said, sport. Um, was all Canadian, I think, three times, and has done very, very well for himself. And obviously, as a young person, he would have anticipated you know, going to the NBA and thinking that he'd be successful and famous because of the work that he's done playing or in sports and athleticism. But it turns out in life, like he took the path of innovation and is very successful and has a great um, life working in technology and innovation. So just in terms of our community, again, it's just a really great opportunity to see that you can use and transition some of the skill set and some of the characteristics that you can use, for example, on a ball court into a corporate setting or into a different space and still be uber successful. So he's another one that I think is doing really great work. So do you have any other people who are kind of serve as a mentor or influencer for you? I mean, I definitely have to say, like, this is the Oscar moment where you have to, you know, you have to thank your parents and particularly having a mother who was insightful and ahead of her time. And I think all those kind of things are important, you know, as, as kids are coming up. I think a lot of the work that mothers do overall, so we had an event yesterday just to bring together the community in anticipation of the release of our results. And there is a young lady by the name of Haley Vassell, and she's currently working with Ladies Learning Code here in Canada. And she heads up the teen division of their association. And I think she's poised to do really fantastic things, but she has a mom that's very involved and very supportive who seeks out opportunities for her. There's another young lady I know by the name of Tanisha Gray-Sandy, who, same thing, her daughter is even younger. Um, I think Haley's in grade 12. Her daughter is, I think, just started grade 6 grade six or eight, I can't remember. But again, she had her daughter involved in, you know, different camps and different programs throughout the, the city across the summer. So had her in coding and had her in all these different things to get these young ladies very familiar and involved in technology. So I think overall, it's the banner of mothers and the work that they do. And I mean, overall, in both sides, parents, but a lot of times just because these women aren't necessarily in the STEM or tech field. So it's amazing to see them do that work. 
Uh, there's another lady by the name of Angela Mignon Smith, who is an engineer, and she blows my mind. Like she's in a space where nobody else is in the space in terms of engineering. I'm not even going to fathom to say what the, um, the the designation is, and hopefully one day you'll get to interview her and learn more about it because I will butcher it. But her, you know, her work and the fact that she's so open and so dedicated and, and willing to work and help us out and just move the community forward is amazing. Uh, and then just personally, like I said, I'm inspired by the work that Sarah does and a lot of the, the people in tech overall, just because it's, it's difficult and they still stick to it and they still are committed to it. And despite being beaten down all the time, uh, standing up and, and taking it. And sometimes you got to take it on the chin, but they get up and they still keep moving. So those are some of the people that motivate me every day to do what I do. Oh, and I have to say one other person, sorry, who spoke up, who spoke at our event yesterday, um, Minister Nadu Harris, Nadu Harris, who is our Minister of Status of Women here provincially in Ontario. So she was just very eloquent and very well-spoken and poised and um, very gracious with her time yesterday. So we really appreciate, you know, a member of government who didn't have to come, who wasn't part of her portfolio, but is committed to the work of women and the fact that she came in and, and spoke at our event and is committed to working with us. So she's another one that, that motivates me and just seeing her as a first-generation Canadian and seeing what she's been able to accomplish and achieve. Like, you know, how can you not be inspired and motivated to do what you do? And I love that she didn't have to come, but she joined anyway. That's so nice. Yeah, it's very gracious because we're, we reached out to a number of ministers and as much as they, you know, whatever you need – they weren't there and a lot of their, their cabinets weren't there. And that goes from our municipal to our provincial and our federal government. And in all fairness, the federal government's back in, in cabinet. So they couldn't be with us, but we're hoping moving forward, like I said, over the next three months, six months, you know, different milestones that we're able to touch base with you and come back and be like, Hey, you know what? This is our ally. This company's come on board and, and this organization's come on board. And these are the members of government that are behind us 120%, just like the incubators um, before our event was even over yesterday, communicate tech came to us and said, hey, these are some of the things we want to get going right away. So we want definitely not just yourself, but all the other media that's out there that will be covering the report and will be meeting with to be the mirrors that we all hold ourselves, that is held up to all of us to make sure that we're accountable and we stick to what we said we're going to do and, and we're able to qualify as well as quantify the work that we do over the, the next and immediate future. That's so awesome. I'm glad people are receptive to everything. Glad people are open to wanting to be part of the change. So that's great. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to see what you guys do in the future. Thank you. And hopefully we'll keep up and, and definitely work together on a couple of initiatives. Yes, I would love that. So I know we've had a great conversation and I'm sure you've opened up my listeners to a whole different world because no one probably knew this was even occurring in Canada. But to end our conversation, yeah. I want to know, what is your advice that you give for people of color, minorities that want to get in tech but are don't know how to enter yet? What advice do you have for them? My number one advice or piece of advice would be to just jump in and be honest about what you don't know, but be very confident in what you do know. So again, I'm not super technical either. I learn every day, which is why I like to surround myself with super smart people like, like Marlon and, and Carl at KBDI and like the other people that we keep around us in terms of our colleagues and whatnot, and be, like I said, and being honest in terms of, I don't know this, I don't know that, how do we do it? Um, and being able to trust in the fact that these guys will steer you in the right path. But then, as, like I said, getting involved. It's, it, for some reason, there's no second thought about opening a clothing store when people have never run a clothing business before. 
right? So I think they, we should, as a community, take the same approach. And people just overall, not just people of color and not just, you know, visible minorities, whatever the case may be, but overall, you know, women, all sorts of, all elements of inclusive diversity get involved in, in innovation and technology. Like, it's cool. It's fun. And I feel like if you're able to use Snapchat, WhatsApp, all these different things, you know, think of a way that, or a challenge or obstacle or something in your life where you can apply technology to be, as part of the solution. Like I said, I, I, the DJ analogy is one of my favorite things just because, you know, people who never even DJ before now, you can make your own playlist and do all these things. And it's like, who would have thought that this would be possible? You know, my, again, my parents come from, from Ghana, West Africa, where back in the day, you'd have $100 phone bills when you'd have to call back home. Now with WhatsApp, it's free. So let's figure out ways to, to leverage innovation and not be intimidated by it, but to take it, you know, not to sound cheesy or corny, but take it like the bull by the horns and be like, you know what, this is what we're going to do to make our lives better. And similar to Elsie with the mommy monitor, some of these things that might be specific to women or different cultures and ethnicities, but at least you're doing something that, that betters more than just yourself. It betters like everyone in one way, shape, or form, even though men don't necessarily use um, the mommy monitors in terms of ovulation tracking and whatnot they are half of the equation, right? So again, just get involved in technology and innovation in any way, shape, or form because that is the new economy and that's where everything is going. And like I said, um, be truthful to yourself and the people you're with about what you're, you know and what you're confident in, but at the same time, be truthful and confident about the things you don't know and align yourself with people who do know those things that can complement your weaknesses and, and let's get out there and, and do this. I love it. And I love your passion and energy for being innovative. Yes, for sure. And even the work that you guys are doing. I mean, as journalists, same thing. The fact that you guys have these podcasts and they're out there, you don't have to wait for, you know, a major network to give you a radio, you know, a slot on a radio station, stuff like that. Like, keep it up. It's amazing. I hope more people see this and they find their niche, whether it's creative or hardcore technical or whatever the case may be. And like I said, just apply technology and innovation to it. And there you have it. In this episode of Black Tech Unplugged, we learned about Toronto's tech ecosystem. And I also introduce you to the lovely ladies that are at Innovate Inclusion. If you want to connect with the ladies after the podcast, you can check out their website at innovateinc.co. If you want a copy of their DNI report, you can email them at hello at innovateinc.co. And you can follow them on social media on Twitter at inc. That's I-N-N-I-N-C. You can find all of this information in the show notes at blacktechunplugged.com. I hope you enjoyed, and I can't wait to share the next episode.